right, let's uh, jump into our Bibles. It's what we do every week. Praise the Lord. Amen. We just got a praise the Lord and an amen right after each other. Are we Pentecostal or what? That's okay. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to be going from verse 26 all the way, if we can, to verse 38. And I want to speak to you on this subject, let it be. And that is not a play off of the Beatles song, and I'm not saying that to be funny, but in fact, this comes from the Bible. This is a phrase that Mary said in response to uh, Gabriel and his uh, news to her. But uh, I I just want to say something uh, before we start here. I was on Facebook this past week, and as I told you, my youngest brother, Justin, will be coming in this coming Sunday night, and he had the chance to go to Charleston, South Carolina with some of his college friends, and he uploaded some pictures and a video, and, and it was just cool. They're, they're a group of guys, and they're into the, some of the film students, and a lot of them are into, into acting, just great guys. They love the Lord. Um, they, they take care of themselves, and uh, they're, just, they're just in love with Jesus. They're manly guys, and they were doing stuff that's fun, and I saw videos, you know, they're swinging on rope swings and trying to grab the tree branch about 20 feet above the water, and they're, they're in, the, in the, 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 I guess you would call it the marsh there in Charleston, rolling around the mud, um, coming out of the mud like something off of Lord of the Rings. They're eating crabs. I mean, it's just like a man weekend, and I, I looked at that, and um, he also sent me a text uh, yesterday that said that uh, they went to a lake and his friend, Isaiah Stratton, uh, who's been experimenting with some cliff jumping, I actually did an 80-foot cliff jump yesterday, um, completed it. They had multiple cameras and they got that. And Justin said, and I did a 40-foot cliff jump. Love you, dude. And I guarantee you, mom did not get that text as well. You know, that's one of those NMA things, non-mom approved, right? One of those things that it, uh, what mom doesn't know won't hurt her, but it'll probably kill you. But um, I just, you know, I, I looked at that. And sometimes, you know, you see things that you normally wouldn't think anything about. And I, I, I read history. That's one of my things. I, I do that and to try to know um, about our world. And I, I just thought with this past week, uh, June June 6, 1944, uh, this was the 67th anniversary of D-Day. And I just thought back um, to, to a generation of young men who were most of them called off of the farm. They were trained. They were trained. In, in fact, one of my friends, Ed Aiken, he's a Marine from Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, he was drafted to go be one of the first Marines uh, into Iwo Jima. And he said his... Uh, commander stood up before his um, his regiment and, and said, they've told us that this is going to be the toughest Japanese regiment here stationed in our sector that we're supposed to have to take out. He says, they told us that we have to win and we have to take this ground and we will. And then, then Ed kind of looked down and he said, and we did, but there wasn't a lot of us left once we did it. And I just want to recognize Joe Sink this morning uh, drove a tank on D-Day onto the beaches of France. Can we just honor his commitment to freedom and your courage? Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say a quick word um, <clears throat> to our, uh, our veterans. Thank you. And I know that sometimes uh, when, you, when you have the younger generations and sometimes you, 
you guys look at us and we, we may dress or talk or listen to music that's, that's different and there's some changes within the generations, but I just want to be a spokesman for, if I can, for a few moments for the younger generations. Um, even though we do a lot of things that make some of the older generations just shake your head and say, what are you guys thinking? Sometimes we have no idea either. It's, it's okay that, that, that you are a World War II generation, Korean War veterans, Vietnam, every other conflict that we've been involved in, the special forces, people who've done things that they can't actually uh, talk about for the sake of freedom and for liberty. You are our profound heroes. And thank you for the type of courage that you showed in the face of Japanese pillboxes, MG-42, machine gun nests, booby traps, cold, the sweltering heat of summer, bugs, disease, fatigue. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of our veterans, because if it were not for your courage... This world would be a much darker place, and I can just about guarantee you that we would have to meet in a cold, dark basement somewhere with maybe one little light hanging from the ceiling to be able to crack open a fragment of the Word of God and talk in quiet. But thank you for your sacrifice that we can openly and proudly and courageously and boldly proclaim the Word of God and freedom to the world. Praise God for our veterans. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, if you can, read with me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But... She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, once again we ask for the anointing of your spirit, the teaching of your word, that you would make hearts and minds alive, and you would do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Our main idea here is, and you can find this in your worship guide, in your outline, is that God's power 
is most greatly demonstrated through or in what we do not have. What we're going to see is a theme through the book of Luke about how often God comes to those who don't have anything to offer except for brokenness and humility. Humility. What is humility? It's being broken before God. It's being broken before God. In fact, if we could break down the Christian life, the Christian life is basically a continual uh, recognition of our need to be humble before God. Just a question. Are you humble this morning? Because there's often when we come to the Word of God, we're either going to have this, this, this attitude of like, God, you are here for me instead of God. I am here to give you whatever you want from my life. In other, in other words, to say, God, I'm willing to accept whatever you have for me, no matter what. No matter what. And you think about this. Um, in the context of, of Mary, notice there in verse 26 how this goes from the incredible, like a wide angle to a very minute point. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, right? This is the same guy, Gabriel, who went and appeared to uh, Zechariah in the temple and told him, your wife, who is and Gabriel actually uses the word old, right? We remember Zechariah said, my wife is advanced in years. She's going to have a child. Well, here he comes again to this place in Galilee and this town called Nazareth and this little Jewish girl named Mary. Now you think about how all of this had to, to, to just crash down on Mary's understanding of the world. Um, one thing that we learn from science is that the world is big. Do y'all get that? Right? Science class. Like the world is really, really big. And sometimes, you know, we can have this concept, especially as guys, of being self-made men. Right? Like we are, we are important. We are big. We are strong. We are influential. We are the man. But when you look at how big the world is, we see how really in comparison, how insignificant we are to everything, right? I mean, now imagine what Mary would have known about how big the world is. She would have known one thing. It's big. Y'all okay? Like it's really big. Like looking out at night, have you ever been outside, where, maybe way out in the country, if you've been to a foreign country where they don't have a lot of lights, and you've been there, and just the sun goes down, and that's when the lights really come on. It's like, boom! I mean, you've got stars, and sometimes you can even see, like, is that the Milky Way galaxy? And it's just illuminated, this beautiful, these beautiful lights, these stars all across the heavens. And she had to, as a girl in the first century, looked up and said, wow. And then she would have obviously known the Old Testament to where David, the Psalms of David, when he wrote, when you look at the moon and the stars and the firmament, the heavens, space itself, and the work of your hands, what is man? Who are we that you are even mindful of us? I mean, and just, just fast forward that, exploded a million times over how much we know about science today. I mean, have you guys ever seen like a basic video, a basic science textbook about how small even our galaxy is in comparison to the known universe? It is absolutely crazy. In fact, there, the universe is so big, you can actually travel at the speed of light, like for 
like for a long time, okay? The speed of light, 186,000 miles per, help me out nerds, per, per second. That means that you could actually, there's something, and I know that all of our sci-fi fans will know this, there's something called light years. That means the speed and the distance that you would go if you traveled 186,000 miles a second for however many seconds make up a year. And there's some places in the universe you would be able to travel like literally, literally to where the point that, 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 that the numbers would be astronomical. It's like one of those numbers back when you were in math. It's like the big number and then the little to the 30 second power. Remember the powers? Anybody remember that? One of my friends, man, he was like, we were going, you know, sixth grade. He was like, I just hate the line with the two dots. Man, I hate that thing. Like division? Yeah, me too. And and there's just, like, it's so huge and it's so amazing. And Mary would have known that God created all of it, right? All of it. And then when this, this, this angel comes from the presence of the creator of this humongous universe, And he comes to this place in Galilee, which was definitely not part place on the Monopoly board of the first century. Okay? Just want to put that, just put that out there. This was not boardwalk. All right? This was not the top place where all the rich people would want to go and we'd want to go on vacation and act like we're rich people. Y'all okay? All right? You know what I'm talking about? This was not, this was Galilee. And not only that, but the town was Nazareth. Uh, I, I researched this and found that uh, they said that Nazareth, this is from the um, IVP Bible Background Commentary, Nazareth in this period was an insignificant village with an estimated 1,600 to 2,000 inhabitants. Not very big. Like Rocky Mount, bro, we would be, we would be rocking the house. We would be a metropolis compared to Nazareth, all right? Like Rocky Mount metropolis, right? Y'all with that? Ready to change the, sound, the town signs? Maybe not? Okay. You've got this small little town, and then notice you have a, what's it say in verse 20, 27? A virgin betrothed. This is, let me tell you how crucial this is. In Judaism, um, a virgin who was betrothed, she was literally, this, this is the way you would do it, alright? Um, normally, you, you would have families that were involved in this. Family, the dad, the mother, they have a son, and they think, you know what? One day our son is probably going to need a wife. Got a, a family over here and they have a daughter. And so, you know, one day my daughter will need a husband. So, so maybe there it's synagogue and temple. You've got like the dads begin to talk, right? They begin to talk like, Hey, maybe we can work something out. And what you would have to do if you were the guy, you would actually have to pay a dowry, a price to her dad. <laughs> and guess how much that was? Whatever price he set. Now, you know that would be shady today, right? I mean, can you imagine how that would be where the, where the dad would set a price and then all of a sudden after the wedding, he's, he's driving around a new bass boat, you know, and that causes marriage problems. Like, dad, is that all that I was to you? He could set a price and the man would pay the father. Now, at that point, once the price was paid, this is key, they were betrothed. Everybody, that's a, that's a good word to be able to throw out in a random conversation. Ready? On three. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Betrothed. Right? Doesn't that make you kind of sound, sounds like, you know, very, very esoteric. Betrothed. They were actually, in the eyes of the community, please don't miss this, they were actually married. 
but they were not, had not yet consummated the wedding. In other words, they were bound to each other by, by community law, by their word. In fact, to betroth means to promise by one's truth. For the girl, I will be faithful and I will save myself until we actually uh, consummate the marriage by way of a wedding ceremony. And the guy is also saying, I'm not going to be looking for anyone but you. And just like the oldie song, I only have eyes for you. Right, guys? Y'all know that song? You sing it to your wife? Some of y'all are like, I don't want my husband to sing. Then just play it, play it on the CD player, record player, whatever, and, and work your game that way. But this, this was basically like a version of e-parent harmony. Um, I, I don't, I have had friends try to sign me up uh, for things like that and online dating. I, I don't, you know, I guess the Lord can, can, can work in that way. I'm not casting judgment. I would just feel way too awkward. It's just, it's just me doing that. You know, hi, my name is Jeff, and I like to work out with Rob Terman early in the morning and drink tuna shakes. Call me if you're interested. I mean, I just don't know how well that would really work and go over. But, you know, you, you look at this, and you have, you have this family involvement, right? This family involvement. That leads to a betrothal period. So here she is, and, and the guy, notice who the guy was, um, who, a man whose name was Joseph. Now somebody tell me what Joseph's job was. Carpenter. Very good. Okay. Carpenter. Okay. Carpenter, that's good, honest work. But if she was trying to win American Idol, if she was trying to get to the top of the ancient world to be noticed, uh, you know, like Palestine's next model, she's trying to win that show. This is not really the way to go about it to be betrothed to a common day laborer who worked simply uh, with his hands. But notice who Joseph was. He was of the house of who? Of David. This is absolutely huge because all of the promises in the New Testament said that the Messiah would come through the line of David. Now, if you've, if you have any Bible background at all, you look at David as basically the greatest king in the history of Israel, right? Like David, David gets on the map by showing up at this battle, right? You got this gigantic Philistine warrior and all of the other Israelite soldiers are too afraid to face him. Like David's older brothers are too afraid to face him. Saul, who was a head taller than all the other men in Israel, was too afraid to face Goliath. And then David shows up. He's actually bringing refreshments. Like, here comes Water Boy. He's bringing like he's bringing snacks. He's bringing cheese and bread, and he's bringing the snacks. You guys getting that? Here is Snack Boy showing up. And then all of a sudden, he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistines that he will uh, blaspheme the armies of the living God? Basically, who does that guy think he is? And then David, the next, next thing you know, he's like, okay, when do I get in the boxing ring? Do I need to jump in? Do I need to crawl in? I'm ready to go now. His brothers begin to berate him. And finally, you know what happens? David kills the giant. And then everything like David begins, he becomes king of Israel. A little shepherd boy. And then through the line of David, all sorts of amazing things happen. Now, let's back up for just a second. Because if you're here, you say, man, Jeff, David, you know, he wrote the Psalms. Man, he did all sorts of amazing stuff. But 
I don't think I could. I mean, my family, Jeff, man, my family is so jacked up, man. When we have family reunions, like the cops have to come, you know, and like break up my aunt from beating up all the men. Like I have a rough family. Like I just, you know, we don't get along well. And, and the, the way I stay in contact with my family is I watch America's Most Wanted, you know, and cops. Like we, you know, we're totally movie stars on that. Like Jeff, I just have, bro. I just have a messed up family. I, we've got problems. Back up for just a minute. There was a lady named Ruth who's in the line of David. Ruth was a Moabitess from the land of Moab. Do you know what the people from Moab did for their religion? They worshipped Chemosh. Which, we don't have time to get into all of the details, but that's where if you wanted your crops to do well, you sacrificed your own baby boy, especially your firstborn. That's the way that you gave your tithe. God saved her out of that and placed her into the line. Go back even further. Remember Joshua, any VBS, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And the Israelites killed everybody in the city. But we don't tell the kids that because it'd be kind of really weird to work it out. You know, like that story, right? And so that story, there was, there was a lady who hid the two spies. And remember her occupation? Her name was Rahab. Her occupation was not... Her occupation was that of a prostitute. And yet, she obviously there was repentance there, and she placed her faith in the one true God of Israel who would send His Son by way of Mary years and years later. And God engrafted the line of a Canaanite prostitute into the line of David. So when you read about David, you're not talking about your classic goody two-shoes, um, leave-it-to-beaver, middle-class family to where the worst thing that's ever said is, oh, gee, that is not that at all. You're talking about absolutely reprobates in the line of David, but it shows the power of God. Please hear me this morning to change a family tree. Praise God. And so whatever your family history is now or what it has been, that poses no problem to the power of God being able to overcome that. Because God chooses in His grace, this is huge, God chooses in His grace, in the life of David, in the life of Joseph, in the life of Mary, of Rahab, of so many of the heroes in the Bible, God chooses in His grace and power to simply lift up those families of humble backgrounds so that his glory can be made known so you see there first man you you basically got this little girl she they said she could have been around 14 years old um in that day and time women would be married uh, younger than they uh, are now we don't know joseph uh, joseph's age but he was able to um, provide and so we've taught this time and time again for our unmarried uh girls here that when a guy asks you out on a date Um, The first thing that you find out after uh, you find out if he is saved and following Jesus is, do you have a job? Amen, church? Right? Like if his mama is still paying for your McDonald's dates, cut it off. Say, you know, wait till you start working at McDonald's and then I'll come and you can give me coupons and we can work it that way. All right? He needs to be able to provide. And we're obviously not talking about men who are in between jobs who have fallen on tough economic times. We're talking about basically a man who can provide. So then we've got this greeting, right? He says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. All right, stop. Little Jewish girl, virgin betrothed to Joseph. The angel Gabriel shows up. 
angel's there, and he says, greetings. Inside, she probably went, ah! I think that's the Greek of freak out. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Favored one comes from the Greek word uh, charis. Some ladies are even named that today. It means means grace. It means favored one. And notice the, the greeting here, the shocking greeting, the Lord is with you. If you go back in your Bibles, in fact, I would encourage you to to jot this down in Judges chapter 6 and verse 12. It's the same greeting that was given to Gideon when the angel showed up for Gideon, right? You remember Gideon? The Midianites, the invaders from outside of Israel, are all over the land of Israel. He's actually working down in a pit. He had dug a hole. He's down in there in a wine vat so nobody can see him and he's threshing his wheat. That's called scared. You okay with that, right? Like scared. It, guys, if you're work, like guys, if you have your truck in a pit with a cover on top and you're changing your oil down in that, you're probably scared. He was terrified, and the angel shows up and he says, he calls him a great man of valor. That means top dog warrior. The Lord is with you. And she would have known this. And she's like, okay, what does this... And notice notice what her, her response is. Verse 29. She was greatly troubled at the saying. She's like, is, is the angel going to try to make me fight? What is going on? Why am I favored? Why is God with me? And she tried to discern what, type, what sort of greeting it would be. Now notice, it's basically like she's asking the question, well, what is God with me for? Why is God with me? And Gabriel's response, this is the same phrase that he begins his response to Zechariah. He says, notice, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Favor with God. She's like, okay, well, I, I guess that's, that's good. I found favor with God. And notice what the favor manifests itself as. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Uh-oh, anybody know what's the problem? She's not married yet. She's a virgin. She's like, I know this is an angel, but now let's just stop right here. News of childbirth can be an amazing thing, can it? Those of you who are parents, like when, when, when your wife finds out that she's pregnant, guys, you probably ought to not just, you know, when you're reading the paper, be like, that's great, honey. And just flip to the next page. You will get a boot kick to the face, right? That is that is huge. He's like like a, a human, like like us, like uh, you know, you and me, and, and God bless. And there's a, there's going to be a little human, like a little you and a little me together in one person. And and, and it's, a, it's a joyful thing to, to have news of childbirth. And I remember my mom told me when I was born. Um, uh, this is she said that the doctor said, "What are you going to name him?" She said, "Jeffrey." It means Jeffrey means peacemaker. And, uh, and I was, I was screaming and the, the doctor said, you may have to work on the peacemaker part. So we're still trying to work on that, uh, making church people mad every Sunday. Amen. So, but, but seriously, like pregnant out of wedlock today is not like it. Most parents are like, you know, honey, I really wish that you would get pregnant out of wedlock. Doesn't happen. Go back to first century Palestine. Definitely, definitely not Okay. But notice, notice the description, all right? 
And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And she's a 14-year-old girl-ish. She's a teenager. And she's sitting there and she's hearing all that. Like the angel shows up and he basically says, you're going to give birth to the king of kings. Ladies, how would you respond? I mean, let's, let, let's just be real about this. You know, it's like, you know, Mary in the Bible. But like the angel shows up to you, ladies, and the angel says, he, the, the, he will, your kid is great. He'll be called the son of the most high? Whoa. Let's take a time out for just a minute. Notice it says that the Lord God will give it a throne and his kingdom, notice verse 33, will have no end. Let me just stop right here just for a moment. Um, there are people today who are trying to redefine Jesus. Have you guys noticed that? Books, programs on TV, you can't redefine Jesus. Amen, church? Jesus is who he is. I heard it, I read this, that trying to redefine Jesus is like a plumber trying to redefine pipes. You can't do it. Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He can and will change your life if you give it to Him. Now notice her response in verse 34. Um, notice she does not say, God, can you do this? But she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's saying, God, how are you going to pull? Like, exactly how is this going to work out? Like, I know, Gabriel, you're from God and God can do anything. In fact, Gabriel gives her a reaffirmation. Look at verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. She knows this. But what she does here is she basically says, God, I need you to, you know, through Gabriel, help me know, like, how is this actually going to work? Like, girls, wouldn't that probably be a good question? Like, how is this actually going to work out? Now, let me, let me, before we answer, let me stop for just a moment and say there are many people who claim that miracles cannot happen. They say that miracles are impossible, that nothing outside the actual order actually happens. Um, I'm going to go nerd for about two minutes. Y'all ready? Okay, I've got, I've got to do this because we got nerds in the house. And, and by the way, the Lord has really blessed our podcast ministry. Um, we've had to pay, I guess it's 12 more bucks uh, a month because more people are downloading the messages from the internet. Y'all okay with that? Maybe? Some of y'all are totally not. No, spend no money. Yeah, the Lord is really blessing Matt's ministry online. So we've got people uh, listening to this all sorts. So, so let, let, me just, let me just hang on and, and, and deal with this. Um, there is <clears throat> to say that miracles cannot happen. You have an a priori commitment to naturalism. Now, what that simply means is that you are concluding before you actually examine the data that there is no possibility, a priori, before experience, that there is no possible way you are excluding the possibility of an explanation being that which is miraculous. Um, Gary Habermas records... um, Oxford lecturer William Wand, who says, and this is huge, there is no scholarly reason for rejecting possibilities before an investigation. David Hume, the most famous skeptic in the English-speaking world ever, said, this is what a miracle is defined as. Quote, 
a transgression of a law of nature by a particular volition of the deity or by the interposition of some invisible agents. Then notice the phrase that Hume uses. A transgression of a law of nature. Alright, I want to ask you a question. Can God transgress His own nature? For example, can God lie? No, the Scripture says that. And some people say, oh, that means that God can't do everything. Do you realize what a strength that is not to be able to lie? That's like a, that's like a mathematician never being able to get anything wrong. That's like, that's like the guy that some of y'all tried to sit next to in math class. If you cannot, if you do not have it in your nature to tell that which is untrue, then you have ultimate moral strength. If you can resist everything that would even come close to a lie, you are ultimately strong. So then that begs the question, and the question rises to the surface, would a change in the natural order, such as a virgin giving birth to a child, be a violation of God's nature? No. It's simply God intervening. Please catch that. It's God intervening in His created order. It is not a violation or a transgression of His own nature. Just because an event is unusual does not automatically mean that it is impossible. Let me repeat that one more time. Just because an event is unusual, logically, philosophically, you cannot conclude that it is thereby impossible. And I'm going to read you a quote from Paul Rhodes Eddy and Gregory Boyd who respond to David Hume's claim that miracles would throw off the whole order of the universe. They say, and I quote, One problem with Hume's line of reasoning is that he seems to associate rational thinking with adding up evidence rather than weighing evidence. Second, if carried through consistently, Hume's methodology would render it unreasonable, please get this, to conclude that anything unusual ever happens since by definition there are far more more unusual events than unusual ones. A historian would thus be justified in denying, for example, the mind-boggling exploits of Alexander the Great or Napoleon Bonaparte despite the fact that there is an overwhelming evidence most of the activities attributed to these men are generally Accurate, And that's why Gabriel says, verse 37, praise God for nothing. The word here in the Greek is rhema, which is a specific kind of word. For nothing, no word, no prophecy will be impossible with God. And if God exists then miracles are possible. But if you do not believe that God exists, you are hopelessly in the chains of your biological makeup. But we believe that God can and does change people all the time. Now notice here you also have um, in verses 35 through, or excuse me, 31 through 33, all of the references to David and prophecy and unending kingdom. This goes back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Here's the fulfillment of the prophecy. The Bible says, In the Old Testament, hundreds of years before this event, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. Which literally means God with us. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 
excuse me, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, for, us to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. If you've got problems, go to Jesus. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It is a fulfillment of prophecy. I've talked to uh, many people, some of our Roman Catholic friends, and they say, now Jeff, did Mary remain a virgin? Uh, the Bible says that she did not. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 25 says that Joseph did not know her until she gave birth with t- Jesus. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46 says, while he was still speaking to the multitude, behold, his mother and brothers. So Mary had children after Jesus was born. Also, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, they said, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Not Judas Iscariot. Jesus had brothers. Also in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says the same thing. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So Jesus later had sisters. I've had friends who've had sisters before. I always thought it'd be cool to have one. And they say, bro, you, you know, that, that, that can be, that can be kind of rough sometimes. I think it would be cool. But Jesus had brothers. Now think back for just a moment in your life, growing up with brothers. You got that thought? Growing up with sisters. Are you there? And yet Jesus remains sinless. So let it, let it soak. Let it soak. John chapter 2, verse 12, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Uh, in verse 5, it says, Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Peter? And finally, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, it said, Paul writes, But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So we know that Mary did not remain a virgin. So, so then I, I've been asked before by Roman Catholic friends, well, do you Protestants or do you Baptists or Evangelical Christians, do you honor Mary? And I would encourage you, if you're talking to Roman Catholic, to use this line. This was taught to me by Daniel Sanchez, a very wise man. He's actually born in Spain. has done missions work in Latin America. He said that what you say at that point is, yes, we honor Mary. In fact, if you want to write this down, um, <clears throat> in John chapter 2, verse 5, at the wedding in Cana, when they ran out of the wine, and they said, oh no, what are we going to do? We've got a, a wedding and no, no wine. Uh, Mary said to them, and she pointed to, she's obviously referencing Jesus, do whatever He says. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So we honor the words of Mary. We give her honor, but it's biblical honor to follow the words of Jesus. And then the angel says, 
in reference to how this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power, verse 35, of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And notice what she says in her response. In verse 38, Behold, I am the servant. In the Greek, this is doulos. It literally means a bond slave. A voluntary servant who has relinquished all of their rights and given control of themselves to another. Let it be to me according to your word. It's like Isaiah said in chapter 6 verse 8 when I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. Is that your prayer this morning? Like seriously, seriously. We, we think about Mary and the concept of humility. But are you willing to say... Behold, I am the servant of the Lord and let it be to me according to your word. God is most glorified in the things that we don't have so that his power can be made known. And when Mary gave this control, when she obviously let the angel know that she was willing, that's when um, we can definitely take a word away. And I want to close with this statement. Um, from Pastor Johnny Hunt. He says, the reason why some of you will not obey God is because you fear the cost of making a difference. Imagine how it would have been for Mary having to break that news to her family. Hey guys, God did this. Imagine that. And imagine how she would have felt having to approach Joseph about it. But God graciously, as we're going to look next week, revealed it to Joseph as well. But the question for us today is, are we willing to say what Mary did and say, I am your bond slave. I am willing to follow you. Let it be according to your word as with me. Question, Christian, are you willing to follow Christ in whatever he's telling you to do? Are we as a church willing to give him control of Rocky Mount Baptist totally and completely? Say, God, I have been here for two weeks. I've been here for a year. I've been here for 80 years. But this is your thing, and I want you to do with it what you want. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. <clears throat> You're here, and you, you've never been saved. In this moment right now, you need the forgiveness of God. Just cry to him and say, God, I need you. Would you please save me, Lord Jesus? Tell him you believe in him. God, I believe in you. Just confess your sin. He knows it. And ask him to take control. Tell God, would you take control of my life? If you're doing that, we want to give you a chance. You're giving your heart to the Lord and when we begin to sing, to get up out of your seat and, and walk down, and we know that that doesn't save you, but what you're doing is saying, you know what? I'm ready to follow Jesus with everything that I am. If you're here, man, and you know that you need to join this church, God has brought you to that point. You want to join up 100%, jump in with both feet. We ask you to come as well. If you're here, man, and you, you have, you've been saved, but you've never been baptized, and you know that God, He's telling you to do that. You just say, Lord, I am your, your bond slave. Let it be to me according to your word. We ask you to come as well. Lord Jesus, would you take this time and glorify yourself? And for those who need to make commitments, would you give them the courage, the blessing to do so? In Jesus' name, amen.